Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Cross-court skip to Wiggins. He'll fake. Puts it on the deck. Feeds Looney. Goes up for a dunk as time expires. Kevon Looney with an 11-point quarter. He's got 17 for the game. It's a two-point game starting the fourth quarter. Now back to 95-7, the game. Kevon Looney, once again, another huge game. 21 points, the double-double for him with the rebounds. The first double-double in the postseason since Robert Parrish, going back to 1977 and, of course, part of that Hall of Fame-esque front line of the Boston Celtics that held it down for so many years. The Golden State Warriors are up 2-0. They command things in the best of seven as things now switch to Dallas for Game 3. That'll take place right here on 95-7, the game coming up tomorrow evening. All right. It's that time of the show. Come down my road. (sighs) It's Draymond, Draymond, Draymond. Look it. Day-day. This dude is, I mean, He's an integral part as to who they are. He's as much a part of the championships and a stronger component like that of Steph at times as Clay. We know the core, the heart. We know. I don't need to give you the resume. And this is part of it. Again, I don't know how many people I speak for, but I, I guess I, can, I should only talk for myself. How's that? Screw you, Dub Nation. This is Dan Abone. Simply because you don't have the live mic I do. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Just, just you don't need it. And last night, fouling out of the game, getting the tech. Why the hell he wasn't run from that game? I have no idea. But sometimes, sometimes, Ev, I just think he can be a deterrent. And sometimes he had a minus 19 in a game they won. I love him. I love that he walks on the edge. Love the emotion. Sometimes it's just too much for me. I'm glad you brought this up because this, to me, is why Draymond – I'm going to go ahead and say it. He's my favorite player on the Golden State Warriors. Oh, mm-hmm. Is because you have to – like, you can't hate him. And it's also at times very difficult to love him. Like, he is he is the heartbeat of the team. In many ways, I'll, I'll call him, let's see, the, the aorta. He's the aorta of the Golden State Warriors <laughs> because if that goes out, they're done. But to me, Draymond last night – I mean, he, he he might have played one of the worst games, if not the worst games of his of his playoff career. And I don't know if you've been listening to a lot of Dallas radio, but they're coming after him for the exact same thing about probably should have had at least three technical fouls last night. And I think even Stan Van Gundy said it on the broadcast today, the referees just decided as soon as he got yeah. his first tech that they were not going to run him. Like, he could say whatever he wanted to them, and they were not going to bounce him from this game. But that being said, they need him. In the worst kind of way, not not because of, of what he did last night. I mean, his his performance down the stretch was was all right. He had some terrible turnovers in the first half. He was the bad Draymond last night. 
But in game three, when you go on the road into yeah. hostile territory and when you need to execute down the stretch of games, there I don't know if there's a single person that I want the ball in their hands more than Draymond because he is the quarterback of the offense. He is the free safety of the defense. And Steve Kerr talked about a little bit last night of what they're going to need to do when they head to Dallas and how they can't assume that a 2 nothing lead is an automatic victory. And here's what he had to say. Well, we'll get to well, that. Well, never mind. Sorry, Brian appears to be a little bit busy at this point, but uh, <laughs> no worries, my man. Basically, he was saying that they need to execute much like they did last night, especially defensively, down the stretch of games if they're going to get the stops necessary to get them over the top against the Dallas Mavericks. And Draymond Green is integral to that process. I, I, got, a, I got a stat for you right here. When Draymond is, is negative, when he plays negative and plus minus in his playoff career, the Warriors are 6-32. and 32. So typically when he plays like he did last night, they don't win the game. When he's a plus, anywhere between one and whatever, however good he is in his postseason career, the Warriors are 87-6 and six in the playoffs. That means that as soon as they go on the road, and if Draymond returns to the form that I believe he will, I like their chances better than even when he's not contributing or when he's throwing the ball around. Like, you just got to live with the bad that he gives you because there is so much good in between. Let's hear from that sound from Coach Kirk. We've won road games, you know, um, in this postseason. We won in Denver. We won in Memphis. So we, we have a lot of confidence that we can go out on the road and win, but we're well aware how difficult it is. So we've, we've got to be, be ready. We've got to execute and, you know, see what happens. Yeah, everything you said, you're absolutely right. When you go on the road, you want that dude, right? You, if you, it's like going down, the proverbial going down an alley. You know, your four guys, you want that dude behind you. If you're taking, you're in a gang fight, you, you, want, you want Draymond. You need the junkyard dog, right? He sets the tone for this team. Again, sometimes, I'm sorry, Ev, sometimes it just seems like it's all about him. Sometimes it's, why are you squaring off against Reggie Bullock? What, what's that all about? Don't stand over me. No one's standing over you. There's no need for you to – in a game like that, there's no need for you to light a fire under Dallas. Dallas is not Memphis. Say what you will about the Mavericks, and I've talked a lot about them in the first couple hours of the show. That's an anemic team that's got Luka, and that's about it. Nothing on that team scares me. Why in the – this isn't Memphis with Dylan Brooks, that criminal. This isn't Memphis with Jog can be divisive and all those players – this is basically, you know, Davies, Bertrands, and Bullock, and even Doncic to a certain degree, but, you know, sort of nice guys as far as NBA players go. Why? What? What? What is it you're trying to do here? Why, why even Why even go and, and try and emotionally get them involved? What, what, what's the point of, of any of that other than, at times, it's about you and you become a player out of control? I do think sometimes he puts himself into the forefront of the story. But that's also who he is. And Draymond has demonstrated at every single level of his playing career that his antics, his, you know, his, his flamboyant acts on the court, like they they lead to winning basketball. I mean, in some way, shape, or form. And it's, I think that's why he's such a polarizing figure is because what he does and how he acts is so difficult to quantify. But the only thing that matters at the end of the day is the letter W for him. And so, yeah, sure, sometimes I, I don't necessarily think that uh, Reggie Bullock was, was standing over him. I, I think when Draymond got up and kind of charged into him, Bullock was actually looking at the ref like, did yeah. I commit a foul there? 
And Draymond going after the referees, he was having a bad game. He kind of let his emotions get the best of him. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of situations where on the court, other players are feeling similar to him. Not not in the moment, but there's a situation or a play where, you know, Jordan Poole throws his hands up at a ref, thought he should have got a call. Otto Porter gets kicked on a, sh- a three-point shot, doesn't get the call. But those aren't guys that can really go at refs, that can... I don't want to say determine how referees officiate the game, but can bully them to the point where they're thinking twice. Draymond, whether you like it or not, happens to be that guy. And he understands that he can control the tempo of a game and sometimes even control the way calls are officiated by the aggressiveness of his actions. And so on a night like last night, maybe he realized earlier Hey, like I, I just don't have it. You know, I'm throwing the ball away. I can't hit a floater. I missed a couple of free throws. Um, you know, I'm not really involved. I'm picking up fouls early and often. Maybe the way that I got to contribute tonight is to get in the refs here and take all the take all the pressure away from my teammates. Make sure that they're looking at me. That they all like I want to be the bad guy. And he plays the bad guy so well. And I think that last night, even despite the minus 19 or, or the number you were talking about earlier. He was a little bit more effective than I I think the the box score reflects. And even though it wasn't great, I mean, I would still have I was you, you gotta have him no, out. No, no, no doubt. No doubt. I just there's there's the the Draymond we all love, and then there's this guy. And when he's this guy, I gotta shine a light on it. Cause there's times that are like, I don't think a lot of that stuff <laughs> none of that benefited anybody except maybe Draymond. And oftentimes I think he points a finger at himself. Let's get out to T Bones hanging out in Fremont and T Bone wants He's a big Draymond guy. What's up, T-Bone? What do you got for us? T-Bone, you there? No bone. All right. All right. I wanted to hear from T-Bone. He was a big supporter of what it is. Yeah, so did I. He was on my side. All right. You know, listen, we can move on from Draymond. I just think that – and you're talking about he's the quarterback of the club. I'm going to officially make this declaration, right? I think that team is better from what we've seen since they made that adjustment against Memphis, I think after game four, that I want to see Wiggins bringing the ball up and be that quarterback. I want to see Steph be that quarterback. I don't want to see Draymond trying to fit in that backdoor pass and try and work that Princeton offense when it's not there. There are times, obviously, when he'll get his opportunities to run the offense, but I I think they're better off with him not bringing bringing the basketball up the floor because that obviously gives an opportunity for Draymond's you know, player to sag because they have no respect for him from shooting from long distance or even, you know, we saw Adams not even guarding from the free throw line and that just created a log jam in the paint. And then almost as if on cue, we saw Draymond throw the ball away. So I I do want to move to Wiggins though, because, you know, like we, we could talk about Draymond at length, had a bad game, still want him out there. Flush back to Wiggins. Thank you. Because this guy to me, I know, Kevon Looney's been described as the unsung hero, and Stephen Curry's been, the, in my opinion, the best player for the Warriors in these first two games, probably in the entire playoffs. Jordan Poole was fantastic last night off the bench. But the guy who, in my eyes, has perhaps even made himself the most money in these playoffs has been Andrew Wiggins. I mean, this guy is peaking at the perfect time, and against a team like Dallas, where he doesn't have to worry about when he drives into the paint you know, a Jaron Jackson or a Steven Adams cutting, coming at him to contest a shot. Like, he is in the perfect role right now for Golden State, and he appears to be shooting with confidence that they wanted 
from him all year long. He looks like the first half all-star, maybe not a starter, but the first half all-star that he was, and I think appropriately was given in the first half of this season. Because Andrew Wiggins right now, I mean, when he's on the court, I, I last down the stretch of the regular season, I was I was a little critical of him. I didn't necessarily think he was, you know, a, a warrior at heart at times. I mean, he he was kind of up and down. He was inconsistent. But the one thing that he has done better than maybe anyone in this series is defended Luka Doncic. He has made life hell for Luka Doncic, who has still gotten his points. But what he hasn't done is if he hasn't dictated the pace of the game. Like Dallas likes to slow the game down. They like to kind of walk it up and down the court. Doncic likes to pick his spots. And Wiggins has made sure that at the very least, he is feeling him 75 feet up the court. Three quarters, he's picking him up every single time. And he doesn't seem to be wearing down. So for me, Andrew Wiggins in many ways, has been the MVP for this series thus far, and I think he's played the best basketball on both ends of the court. Yeah, this is this is as good as it gets for him, and I don't even know that he, he recognizes that he could reach down and get to this level. Let's keep in mind, when you think about where he was at Minnesota, where he was you know, the former number one pick overall, and of course he goes to Cleveland and LeBron doesn't want him, ships him off for their man, Mr. Love, out there in, in, in Cleveland, and he becomes the number one they run their offense through him. It doesn't work. And if you were to talk to people in Minnesota, they would tell you he's lethargic. He disappears. He comes to the perfect culture right here at Golden State. And I don't think it's been till these, these playoffs, because he's never been on this stage before. He's never played in the postseason. That we're seeing a side of this guy that I don't know if he stays with the team. I'm hoping he does. But, again, this comes down to money and finances. But he makes a lot of cash. But this guy, to your point, is so significant to the success of this basketball team. While you have guys that shoot it like that is Steph, like Clay and Poole, and we can give, you know, we can talk about Draymond till next Tuesday. The only two way player on that team I'm talking about, as you mentioned, that can lock up Luka, that can lock up Tyus Jones in the previous series when Ja went out and asked Coach Brown, you want me to watch him the full 94 feet in game six, and then give you the offense on the other end? It's this guy. This is the one cat in that war uniform. Soon, it'll be Jonathan Kaminga. But we for hope. right now, it's this guy. This is the one guy that can put pressure on a rim, that can get to the basket, can get to his, put pressure on Luka and make Luka work defensively. And then, oh, by the way, when he's on defense, can lock up Luka to a certain degree. To a certain degree. I mean, we're talking about locking up Luka, and he went for plus 40 last night. But, but you're right, though. On defense... He's doing a lot of the things that I know personally made me fall in love with Klay Thompson. Like, Klay Thompson's always been a sniper. He's a far better shooter than Andrew Wiggins will ever be in his in his sleep or in real life. But what Klay Thompson added on the defensive end of the court is the fact that he could guard one through four. He was switchable. He was long. And he still is – I think he's getting back into defensive form. I mean, we saw Steve Kerr throw – a multitude of guys on on Doncic. It wasn't just Wiggins. I mean, we saw Porter on it on what at one point force an Aaron shot down the stretch of the first quarter. We saw Clay on him. We saw Looney on him. Um, we saw Curry get get switched onto him, to, onto him a couple times. So it isn't just Wiggins. But what Clay was able to do during those final runs is essentially get a hand in the face of whoever he is guarding and make life difficult for them on the offensive end. That's what Wiggins does, and 
I don't I don't know if it's because of his demeanor or just I mean he's he's a Canadian he's a nice guy he, he seems to be you know just kind of simple steady the entire way, but he seems to almost be getting a little more demonstrative and he begins he's beginning to get a little more animated and emotional because it's like he enjoys trying to lock up Doncic or Brunson, whoever is in front of him, he's looking at them like, I am going to create a litany of problems for you on this side of the court. And large in part, there's not much that anyone can do about it because he's six foot seven with a near seven foot wingspan. And he's he's a marathoner, man. He's one of those guys who can just go. He reminds me of the old Rip Hamilton. Remember Rip Hamilton back in the days with oh, the yeah. Detroit Pistons? He's one of those guys, Rip Hamilton would always say, nobody can stay with me. Because I will run the baseline a lot like what, what Clay and Steph do, moving without the basketball, coming off of pin downs. And you just run and you're chasing, like Reggie Miller, you're chasing these dudes all game long. And by the end of the contest, you're like, enough. Will you just stay still? I think that he has that similar body type. I don't think this guy, I've never seen him tired. I've never seen him, you know, pulling down on his shorts. I've never seen him bent over looking for, this guy can go. And that, I think that's part of his success. You talked about Clay. I just want to switch things to Clay for a second. Because this is just going to help me segue and leapfrog to my man. Yes, there is going to be J.K. talk today. Are you nuts? This is Dan Avone on the horn. <laughs> Clay Thompson got to the rim twice yesterday, which is so uncharacteristic for him. I'm talking about getting to the rim uncontested and flushing, right? If Clay Thompson can get to the rim, and Clay had another good, you know, we're waiting for Clay to sort of break out, but he's. Had you know two solid games. Game one, he didn't score in that first half. 15 points again in game two. It's enough out of this guy because he got so many weapons, one of which are clay. But the bigger point is, Jonathan Kaminga, again, in this series, and I know this will wake some people up, this is another perfect series for the kid because the one thing you can do against Dallas is put pressure on the rim. There is nobody there. They are going to watch you at the point of attack, but once you puncture that, you can get to the rim. I talked about Andrew Wiggins. Who better to get to the rim than that of Jonathan Kaminga? Where is he, Ev? Oh, don't get me moody, but here we go. Before we get to moody, and I am in a mood, but <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to ask you this. Like, did you think that Dallas had any sort of interior defense prior to this series? Because I was under the impression that they did. Being able to keep DeAndre Ayton in check, you know, being able to handle, I know Gobert's not an offensive force, but they, they've they gone up against some, as Priest earlier in the show would call it, true bigs. And they had a pretty good game plan for them. They were able to keep them in check, but against the Warriors, who large in part don't play with a, a, a true big, except for Looney, who's been playing like, as we talked about, Roger Robert Parrish in this series, like I, I'm, I've been shocked at how little force, how little resistance there is inside the paint. Did you think it was going to be that way? Yes, yes. They haven't had this all year long, especially since the removal of, of Porzingis. Now Porzingis wasn't a guy that played in the house, but when you're that tall, you can take up space and alter shots. It's the reason why they took Rudy Gobert off the floor. It's because they went five out. They go five out, and that's what Jason Kidd stumbled upon. Maybe three quarters into the season. Let's go five out, have Luca run the floor, and we're gonna that's our best chance at making a run. And that's what's coming to fruition. As far as DeAndre Ayton, the next the next level that DeAndre Ayton has to ascend to is learning to take advantage 
of teams like that. But keep in mind, he too was almost removed from that series. He only played 17 minutes in game seven. So they their thinking is we're going five out. We're going to nullify the bigs. And that's what happened with Rudy Gobert and DeAndre Ayton to a certain degree, just to answer your question. So back to Kaminga, and I think the reason why we saw Moody instead of him in that fourth quarter yesterday, well, for one, that might have been the time where, where Damian Lee was going to get some of those minutes down the stretch, but, you know, he, he was he was not good. Let's just put it that way in the first half. Damian Lee was was horrendous on, on his time in the court. Right behind Draymond in terms of get him out of here. <laughs> But as far as Moody's concerned, to me, he's he's just a little more heady of a player right now than Kaminga. Kaminga's a guy that sees red and attacks the rim relentlessly like no other. But that wasn't really the situation for him last night. Like they didn't have any problem getting to the rim. So I didn't I didn't think that like to your point, we talked about this last weekend. Kaminga's a guy that can give you some juice to get to the basket when you're struggling to penetrate. They didn't have any of those issues in the fourth quarter. Moody's an, as a guy that I've been very surprised as to how well he's integrated himself with the motion offense of this team for just a rookie. And he's a pretty young one at that. I know he only played one season at Arkansas. Eric Musselman, his head coach there, former coach with the Golden State Warriors, talked about how, how smart of a player Moody was. And all head coaches are going to do that. They're going to hype up their guys. But we, I think we've really seen that during the regular season – and now here in the playoffs, and that's the reason why Steve Kerr can trust Moody in a situation like that because he's long. He's not necessarily a two-way player, but you don't have to worry about him on defense. He's going to make all the right rotations. He's going to try and poke the ball away. He's not going to commit stupid fouls, which is something that Kaminga has done at times. And when you don't want to give your opposition any momentum or any inkling of getting back in the game, an easy way to do that is free throws. I think Moody was the right option in that situation, even though Kaminga is the one, as we all know, that has more promise. Yeah, you're right in terms of defense. And I think that that might be the deciding factor. He knows what he's doing on defense. And especially against Dallas, I think it gets complex. Because yeah. they go from a zone, boxing one, to a man, and they were switching that up. You know, Coach Kidd, Jason Kidd said this. He said, you know what I like about the Golden State Warriors? He said they're one of the few teams that doesn't have to call a timeout to switch defenses. Typically, you got to do that during a T.O. They can do that on the fly. In order to do that within the course of a game, you got to know what it is that you're doing. I think Jonathan Kaminga, to your point, is still raw and young enough where you can see him on the floor sometimes asking Draymond and Steph, where do I need to be? Where do I go? Who am I watching? Like, I, I think that you're, you're spot on when you talk about Moses Moody is advanced at that level. Let's face it, we're not behind the curtain. Something's going on in practice because they've talked about wanting to play Moody against Memphis. So he's doing something. I, I would say this, Neville, let me throw it back to you. Do you start him? not start him, but in the second quarter, you know, when Damian Lee's getting that run, he's starting the second quarter. Do you replace him with Moody? I'd feel much more comfortable with it. Same da here. Damian Lee found a way to go minus 12 in four minutes. I mean, they took full advantage. That second unit did Dallas in that second quarter. That's really where they separated. It's interesting because they did it without Doncic on the floor. They basically went five wide, as you talk about, with Brunson at the point going right after Lee, going after Poole. And when those two guys are on the floor together, your backcourt just doesn't have it defensively. So I would feel much more comfortable with Moody getting those minutes. But I also know what Damian Lee can offer, which is a shooting presence on the outside. When he's not hitting, then we have problems, which is why I think Moody got those you know nine minutes in the fourth quarter and where they didn't lose any ground. But 
Lee gives you, I think, some more shooting off the bench, which at times, Golden State did have an issue last night, but they have they do fall into those kind of cold stretches from three, and so I think Damian Lee can be an addition there. I think Moody's bigger, right? I think he's bigger than Damian Lee. And when you talk about those stretch guys and those guys that can get out and guard multiple defenders, those big wings that we always cover in the NBA, that's Moody. Also, just think about the experience this guy is getting going forward. He's getting a taste, a sniff of the postseason, the Western Conference Finals. It's only going to benefit this guy. We continue here on 95-7 the game. I want to get to the third quarter. The pivotal third quarter, the Warriors catch that 19. They're down 19, and they make their run. And I want to talk more importantly of how they did it. And, yes, it was not the three ball. It is Evan Giddings and Dan Avon on 95-7 the game. Warriors up 2-0 in the best of seven series. All here on 95-7 the game. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Gets right to the rim and dunks it with a right hand. 79-70. First time in a long time it's been a single-digit game. Now back to 95-7, the game. Welcome back. It's Dan Avone. It is Evan Giddings on this Saturday, the day after the Golden State Warriors blitz once again the Dallas Mavericks to go up 2-0 in the best of seven. The series now shifting to Dallas for game three. All the action can be heard tomorrow night right here on 95-7 the game. Ev, I wanted to get back to that pivotal third quarter. We know, obviously, traditionally, how good the Warriors are in the third quarter, and that certainly has served true here in the postseason. And again last night, you're down 19 at one point in that first half, and you're thinking, oh, no, man, Dallas is shooting it. And then you trim it to 14, and then you just simply walk them down. You get it down to 11. You get it within double digits, and you can almost see the writing on the wall. It's almost as if... You know, the PGA Championship's going off. You know, remember Tiger when he's in the hunt on Sunday? Everybody else, the entire leaderboard's looking over their shoulder. Like, it's not a matter of if, but when the Warriors catch you. That's the sort of sentiment that I thought I felt was almost tangible throughout the building yesterday. That third quarter, though, this is what I wanted to underline. When you think of the Warriors, you think of what? Threes. They reinvented the game with Steph and Clay and now Jordan Poole. They do it a different way, especially in that third quarter. That was a team that got to the rim, 
and it got to the mid-range. It wasn't about threes that drove the car for them last night. Just to take it a step further, and I've been pounding this rock for a while now, I believe Steph at this stage in his career is better at the mid-range and finishing at the rim. While he can still shoot threes, and he can still be good beyond the three, but this idea that it's Steph and the three, and those two will always be married to each other, and Steph has got to be absolutely sideways shooting that three and scoring 45 a game and shooting at 45% behind the stripe, I think those things are in the rearview mirror. But he's still a dominant, if not an MVP-type player with this new Steph who's at the rim finishing as he did in that fourth quarter and playing the mid-range as they did collectively as a team. We're going to get to Steph in a second, but you made an excellent point about the third quarter, I think, and how it was different than we're accustomed to seeing the third quarter Warriors. Everyone likes to glamorize and talk about how essential 3 and D players are. The Warriors in that third quarter were the quintessential 2 and D team. It wasn't like they started bombing threes and just exploded and blew Dallas out of the water like generally they do in the third quarter against teams. The difference was they held Dallas to 13 points. I mean, they locked them up. Dallas continued to shoot threes. The Warriors, in fact, did not shoot the three ball very well at all. Contrasting the two sides, Dallas was 2 of 13 from three-point range. Golden State was 1 of 6. They did not shoot the ball well from distance. The difference was Dallas took six shots inside the three-point line. Golden State was 9 for 16, five of those field goals by Kevon Looney. So they got whatever they wanted at the rim. And so it was a very different type of you know, flurry from the Warriors in the third quarter. They only scored 25 points, but they built back into the game. They cut down the lead from Dallas because they forced them on the outside to take as many threes to basically dare them, as one of our callers talked about earlier with their zone defense. They dared them to take threes. Dallas wasn't hitting them. And as much as shooting is contagious, so is missing. And Dallas just looked like each time down, they were hoping that someone could make a three to break the streak, and no one was able to do it. You see, I don't know, maybe it was some tired legs, the ball going in and out, rolling around. They weren't getting those lucky bounces. Meanwhile, the Warriors weren't necessarily shooting the lights out, but they just found ways to penetrate to get the ball to Looney. Wiggins was diving inside, and your boy Curry was going to the rim, whereas in the first half, he let the game come to him. He shot the ball very efficiently from three-point range, and I think as the defense for Dallas started to extend, that's when he realized that's the difference to me with Curry this season and then in recent years is he knows that if he can hit a couple of threes early on, he's going to have so much more space to operate in the second half and, to your point, be the medium to inside threat that has made him the most lethal fourth-quarter weapon so far in these playoffs. He'll always be that guy. Whether he's hitting him or not, people are going to have to run him off the line. They're going to respect that guy shooting from behind the stripe as long as he's upright in a uniform and playing games. By the way, an interesting side note, You know, Jason Kidd did not call a timeout in that third quarter. No. He didn't call a timeout until they were down 97-92 in the fourth with like seven and a half to go. Sort of an interesting maneuver on the part or a mission on the part of Jason Kidd in not calling a timeout where the Warriors were clearly blitzing that team. So, I don't know. Well, interesting, too, because so 
in between the the first and second quarter, typically there's a head coach's interview, and Allie LaForce is talking to Jason Kidd, and she says, hey, Jason, you know, you guys are out to a, what was it, 12-point lead, 35-23. What's the difference between game one and game two? And he said, oh, we, you know, we played more physical, we're moving the ball around. And she said, well, so, you know, what do you think, uh, you know, maybe you need to do better in order to make sure, you know, you maintain this lead, yada, yada, yada. And Kidd looks at her and says, we can't settle for three after three after three. And yet... That is exactly what they did. They settled for threes, and he refused to call a timeout. So coming into this series, I thought Jason Kidd had done a fantastic job with this team. He had gotten the most out of this group and unlocked, like we talked about in the previous segment, kind of this small ball, almost 2007-ish Warriors-type lineup without a true center. But in the second half, and maybe it's because he himself had played 18 consecutive years in the playoffs. He himself does not panic in those types of situations, but he himself is not the point guard on the court. And Luka Doncic wasn't out there for a large part of that run where the Warriors chipped back into the game. So I, I'm at a loss as to why Jason Kidd didn't try and put a stop in that momentum. Maybe he just figured they were going to eventually fall, and they didn't. Yeah, you're right. When he's saying we're settling for threes, well, you have no choice. You made this decision to play like this. You know, he's influenced to a certain degree by the way Mr. Daryl Morey, now formerly of Houston, but of course, you know, doing things out there in, where is he now, in Philadelphia? Another debacle. But, <laughs> you know, this is the way this is the way they want to play basketball. And again, I think the Golden State Warriors, in not settling for threes, and the way they played in that third quarter, I just hope everybody just sort of sat up and took notice that there's another way to win games for the Warriors, especially against this team that doesn't include the three and being self-reliant on the three. The three is always going to be there for this team. If you get out in transition and there's an opportunity on either wing or from out in front for, you know, Poole, Clay, or Steph, they're going to shoot it. And if they're feeling it, they're going to shoot it again. But you don't necessarily like that in Memphis – where you felt as though if they weren't shooting it from long range, which is why I was screaming from the top of the hills, we need another way to do it. Get Jonathan Kaminga in there because somebody's got to pressure the rim. Well, against this team, everybody can get to the rim. So while you can shoot the three, it's more of a level of balance with this Golden State Warrior team. But getting back to Steph, I think this, this version of Steph at age 34, I know he shot at 38% from three for the first time, and I don't know how many years he's been under 40. I'm just saying get used to this. It's not a detriment on him. People always misinterpret that I'm coming down on him. No, not at all. I think he might actually be a better basketball player at age 34 than he was four or five years ago. Give his ability to rebound, led the team in rebounding at 12 the other night. His ability to assist, his ability to still shoot long range, but now his ability because of how physically bigger he is than a couple of years ago to finish at the rim. This dude is a finisher, man. And so is Jordan Poole, by the way. We'll get to Jordan Poole in just a bit, but... I just want to recognize Steph for having a big game, but how often do we talk about Steph being good and not necessarily talking about threes? No, everything that he does from beyond the three-point line, and we, we hear you the 5-1-0 on the Xfinity Mobile text line, he was 6 of 10 for three last night. No, he's night. good in the first half. No in the doubt. first half, he's 5 of 7 from downtown, but in the third quarter, he didn't score. And what did he do in the fourth? Like you said, Dan, he got a little floater in the lane. He got to the basket. And then he hit the the three late that everyone's been you know gushing about on social media. The night night three that put Dallas to bed on the left on the left wing. That's when that's when the three was open for him and he took it. So you know it isn't that he's 
not as, as well, he isn't as good of a three-point shooter as he used to be, statistically speaking, but everyone is so keyed in on him on the three-point line than they used to be. They're throwing multiple bodies at him every time he comes off a pick. If he tries to go one-on-one, it's usually a step-back three, which he can make, but not at, a, at, at the clip that we have seen him at during his MVP-level years. So I do think he is... I don't know if he's a better player, but you're absolutely right that he's a more complete player at this point than he's been throughout his career. Because right now, even if Kevon Looney had the biggest game last night in the glass, Stephen Curry is the one that's leading the Warriors in terms of total rebounds in the series. He's only had six turnovers in two games. That's also a big number I've been looking at. He's been taking better care of the ball. He's been more efficient with his looks. He's been rotating it around, and he's doing it while only playing about 33 minutes because he didn't need to in the first quarter of Game 1. So Stephen Curry, I mean, yeah, sure, he's not putting up 35-40 every night, and his shooting, his great shooting performances are going to be fewer and far between, but he has found different ways at age 34 to influence the game in a positive manner that I don't think that can be argued. You know, a lot of people, first of all, they're not going to agree with you, because you're agreeing with me. <laughs> but a lot of people are not, they're not ready to arrive at that yet. They still think Steph is capable. A, matter of fact, they'll be either be on the text line, maybe somebody will call us in. And they will tell you that this is just a, a bit of an outlier. This is just a little fly in the ointment. He's having a bad stretch, maybe even a bad year. But Steph is going to be Steph. Everybody has bad years. He's going to get back in the lab and he's going to be Steph again. And for whatever reason, People just have a hard time not associating Steph with those crazy days when he was hitting all those threes. It's okay to move on. It's okay. We're not saying that Steph is not a good – he's still your best player. He's still the pulse of this basketball team, and he's still one of the premier players in the game today. He's just doing it a different way. I'm just sort of curious, what is it with fans, been Dub Nation, and Steph and threes? Thinking that that's the only way this guy is identifiable, that that's his only, you know, that's his only mark in life. Look at when you get to 34, and one of the reasons I think he's missing threes is everybody's like, well, what's happening? All of a sudden, what he can't aim, he can't shoot it anymore. Is his release point different? Is it the injuries? What's going on with him? No. What happens when you're 34, just like any of us? You'll get there one day. Is that you lose a half step, if not a step, and so those those step backs you're talking about, or those side step threes. Because you got to work your handle to get open if you're Steph, right? This dude isn't Reggie Miller. He's not 6'8". He's not, he's not even Ray Allen, right? He's got to work to get open. He's got to maneuver the basketball. They've closed out on that. That You lose that half step. I can get to you just that split second quicker. That hand in your face is now there, whereas maybe a couple of years ago, you would beat me to the spot. Guys get slower. There's nothing wrong with that. But this dude is doing it another way and still one of the premier players in the league today. Why people can't get their arms around with it, whether I'm right or wrong, why they think that's such blasphemy when you're coming down on Steph Curry, I'll fail to to, to ever recognize. Well, the the chef, I mean, you, you, just, you just can't say anything bad right. about him. I mean, it's... You can't do that. That's this. He's he's our guy. He is, he's the Golden State's guy. And if you say anything that might even... Be interpreted. Be interpreted as disrespect. They're going to lash out at you because he is Stephen Curry. But I, I'm totally with you. Like, I don't think it's a slight to say that he's taken a step down. He was the first unanimous MVP ever. He will never be that player again. That's not a disrespectful statement. 
Like, the guy was at the peak of his powers six years ago. He was very good last season, led the NBA in terms of points, shot at 48%, 42 from downtown, and there's been a pretty reasonable fall-off from last season until now, from six years ago until now. That doesn't mean that he can't be your best player on the floor, which, in my opinion, he's been through the first two games. He has been absolutely what the Warriors have needed him to be, which is keeping you in the game in the first half and then kind of biding his time until it is the right time to strike. In game one, he knew he could end the game in the third quarter. That's why I think he had seven points at the half. Him and Clay were not great. In the third quarter, he took it to Dallas. He put the nail in the coffin in the third quarter because he saw his opportunity to strike. Game two, they were down. He basically kept them afloat in that game in the first half because he knew he had to be aggressive. And then in the third quarter, Jordan Poole started to get it going. Other players for the Warriors began to chip in. And so he could sort of sit back. He rested a little bit at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and then he drove it home at the end. He knows when to pick his spots, and maybe that's something we don't give him enough credit for, and maybe why people feel like we're coming down his road is because Stephen Curry, to me, has been... I mean, he just he sees the game so much clearer than he ever has. It's just that his physical prowess isn't what it used to be. I don't think that's a knock. All right. Anytime you go after Steph Curry, it's like the bat phone. Robin. Yeah, Robin's awake. She's ready to go at me. What's going on, Robin? Welcome back to the show. Good to hear from you. Hi, you guys. I'm a busy man. I just think you guys. Dan, how long have you been back in the Bay Area? Did you say you had left the Bay Area? Yeah, I've been gone. I was in New York. Yeah, I was gone for a while. So I'm... Yeah, so listen. I, don't, I think you guys, I just think you guys are a little off here. First of all, I do believe there are some fans out there who think that Curry is going to be this guy like in 2015, 17. You know, that's him. And to the other guy, I don't know who he is. Nobody is who they are six years ago, baby. I'm 61 years old. And I'm riding around in a lark right now at Disneyland instead of, instead of walking. And I'm just 61. So nobody's what they are six years ago. So anybody <laughs> who thinks that is foolish. And, Dan, I wanted to say this to you. Kurt changed his game a long time ago. He expanded his game a long time ago to include going to the paint, to include his mid-range shots. In fact, there's one season, and I can't call it, where he had, um, they had showed that he was more efficient at mid-range, and I forgot what season. So that's kind of old news to us. Anybody that's been watching current play basketball, he expanded that long time ago, and he bulked up last season because he knew he had to. Now, the drop-off in terms of his percentage of his shooting threes, it's his efficiency that has dropped off. And it's dropped off, not dramatically, from 40% to what, 35, 36? 38, 38. 38. So, I mean, that's not a dramatic change. So, no one is tied to him shooting the way that he did five, six years ago. Nobody is oblivious to the fact that he has expanded his game to include going to the hoop, to the mid-range change. That's the issue that I have with you. Got he's it. thinking that we think he's just going to be a three-point shooter. Because in that aspect, I agree. He expanded his game a long time ago because as he gets older, he's not going to be able to keep doing that. That's the issue I Robin, have. good point. Before you go, what, what ride are you going on today? Oh, looks like we lost Robin. Robin, are you there? All right. Robin, put on the Mickey Mouse ears and go hug Goofy. You ever been to Disneyland? Yeah, why? You can tell me Goofy isn't there anymore. <laughs> You're looking at me like, what are you no. talking about? No, I, th- I think I think Goofy's still around. 
But uh, no, no. To, to her point about Stephen Curry, it's it's well taken. Yeah, and no. She's 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 inside. Say what you will about Robin, but she she knows what's up. But yeah, go ahead. What were your thoughts on what she had to say? No, I mean Steph has he did quote unquote change his game years ago, but I think we're starting to see maybe more of that shining through now, just because he's been less efficient from three point range. Like he he's always been a three level threat, but it's it's. Again, it comes down to percentages, and I know she's she, Robin had, is, makes makes her point that you know from forty two down to thirty eight doesn't seem like a lot, but if you take a look at the amount of threes he made last year to this year on roughly the same amount of attempts, that's forty less makes. Like that's that's a pretty significant number of three point shots in terms of total misses, and I don't want to sit here and nitpick Steph, you know, being lesser or or, or better from three point range, but. I think we're starting to notice the importance of the mid-range and the, his interior uh, driving a little bit more this season just because he hasn't been as consistently great from three-point range. He used to string together you know, three, four amazing shooting games in a row. Now it's maybe one out of every three, two out of every four. That's still fantastic. That's still greater than probably 99% of the league. But again, we're judging him on his standards. And that's, it sounds weird, but it's his fault for setting such a high bar for himself that it's only natural when he doesn't reach that bar for someone who watches him like you do for the majority of his games, day after day, night after night. Like you're going to notice that he isn't doing the exact same things he used to and that he is more efficient inside. Let's get out to Alamo and Doug. Doug, how are you today? Welcome on this gorgeous Saturday to 95 7 the game. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You know, my buddies and I were talking about that last night, and and, and it's a lot of this, you know, with Steph's drop-off, and I know that, you know, hurts people to hear that. Um, Jordan Poole makes up for it in a lot of ways. I also think, do you guys know what his plus-minus is? Because he's probably 10 to 15 pounds heavier than when he came into the league. Um, Muscly-wise, he plays defense a lot more. So how hard is it to work to get open as hard as he does and then turn around. You know, at the beginning of the games, how he sprints to the thing and he runs around and he, he he closes out. And his defensive effort, you guys have to admit, is a lot better. Is his plus minus dropped or went up? Do you guys know that? We'll have it for you in just a sec. Not not off the top, but but that's and that's that's a great call from Alamo. But I go ahead, go ahead, Doug. I just think that's affecting him in some ways. Yeah. So so and again, it's the wealth of riches, right? Um, your your best player, if there is a dip. Jordan Poole, every time he doesn't do something, I, you know the way they play us in defense, and it started out with Denver, is they play that perimeter defense, and they're just begging you to come inside and backdoor them. And I always keep saying, go to the hole, go to the hole. How many times can, can Jordan Poole take somebody off the dribble almost every time? I think he can. How, much, how many uh, shots did uh, Kevon Looney get open on when we drove in and, and there was a double pass or one pass? And so the t- we're adjusting and adapting and I know I'm kind of rambling, but Steph, I definitely think a better all-around player. And because of the wealth of riches that we have, you don't really notice the drop-offs that he has because he's focusing on other areas. And those are being, you know, taken up by by Poole and Kaminga, although he hasn't come in, and just other guys on the team. Yeah, no, you, that's a really good call. No, I totally agree. And and for the the stat that he's wondering about, plus-minus during the the five-year title run, Stephen Curry was a plus 16 on average on court. Per 100 possessions, fantastic, top of the league. This year, he's been a plus 10. 
again, not bad by any means, but five points less from his peak is something that is noticeable. And I do want to also address the fact that we we are giving him credit for his defense. I mean, we said it earlier, this may not be his best shooting season, but there's an argument to be made that this is his best, well, his most complete season. He's an entirely different player from when he first came into the league defensively. Coach Duran, Union City, the location. Coach, my man, welcome back to the show. How are you today? Hey, what's up, fellas? Hey, it's a terrific and wonderful Saturday. Man, I just want to give a happy and positive shout-out to Warrior Nation. All right, we're taking this series. It's ours. We made the adjustments. Everything is connected. And Dub Nation, here we go to the finals. Yeah, Warriors! Good job, Coach. You know, something, and we can stem off of Steph Curry that I know you want to get into, and some of the callers have, have insinuated as well, that with the the wealth of riches, that you don't need Steph to be that Steph anymore. Not when you can, you know, deflect with a Jordan Poole or if Clay's doing his thing or maybe I don't know who's coming off the bench, whether it's an Otto Porter. They have more depth this year than in previous years. And only going forward with these younger players and the more experience, the less you can expect of Steph Curry. But as it relates to teams that are one-dimensional, and whether that's John Morant that we saw with Memphis and what we're witnessing right now with Luka Doncic. You had an interesting question, which I'll let you pose, and then maybe we can tackle that after the break. Yeah, I kind of want to tease it, Dan, because it's an interesting point, and I think it proves why you don't want Stephen Curry to just run high pick and roll for 48 possessions. Like, why you don't necessarily want him to be the, or attempt to try and be the max usage player that he used to be, because... You don't want him to wear down the way we've seen a couple of these individuals do for teams that the Warriors have been going through and making relatively light work of, and we'll talk about why on the other side. All right, we continue. Evan Giddings and Dan Avone, the 3 o'clock hour straight ahead as we get you ready for Game 3. Warriors up 2-0 against the Dallas Mavericks. Back on 95-7 the game after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 